Hey, this is Kathleen. And when I'm not unfucking businesses here on the podcast, I'm unfucking real estate over at ysaintpete.com. My company is Sighty Realty, and we are excited to sponsor this episode. This is Godriguez from godriguezart.com, and you're listening to Unfuck My Business. No bullshit advice for business owners who want to be resilient as fuck. Now, let the unfuckery begin. What is up, unfuckers? We've got uh, another member interview today with a, a really interesting guy, somebody I've been following on Facebook for a long time and finally had the chance to meet right before COVID hit and locked us all out. Uh, and we had some really interesting conversations, but I didn't even really know at the time that he was as involved in a similar sort of technology spaces as I am because... I've known him as a thought leader in the men's spirituality space, facilitating thoughtful conversations around life and our place in the universe and really thinking about those questions from a, an interfaith perspective, which I find appealing. But he is also the founder of Illustrious Consulting, a visualization process analysis and executive coaching firm. And uh, we wanted to talk today about uh, using creativity and innovation to transform your business. I think too many of us get locked into these patterns where what has always been is what will always be. And because of that, we really fail to see opportunities to improve our business, to grow, to open up new product lines, or sometimes to even like strategically pivot into something that you never even thought that your business could be because you didn't open your thought process to that. So I'm going to hand off to uh, my co-host and showrunner, Robin Sales. She has a series of questions that I would love to hear the answers to. Robin. <laughs> hey, everybody. Thanks so much. Jordan, thank you for being here. Say hello. Hi, everybody. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you. You are one of those people, as Chris said, that you meet interesting people, but then some people stick out to you as like interesting people. One of the most fascinating dudes I have ever met. And I'd be remiss if I didn't tell the story of one of my favorite things and the first time you and I had the opportunity to meet in person is you held an event for readings and performances of Kerouac works in that church. And it involved like live saxophone playing and sound healing and professional readings of Kerouac work. And I just like, I could not hold my shit together. I was like <laughs> torn down all the way to my basic elements and rebuilt by the end of that experience. It's truly one of the most favorite things I've ever done. And I'm so glad that like that was the thing that allowed you and I to finally meet in person. It's also one of my favorite things I've ever done. And I'm really glad that it affected you the way that it did. It made my beatnik heart so happy. <laughs> and for anyone who's not familiar, I'm talking about Jack Kerouac, the author, the king of the beats, although he'd be the first person to dispute that title. Right. <laughs> And he has history here with our local area, St. Petersburg, Florida. Right. Unfortunately, this is where he died, but his ghost and his shadow remain strong, especially if you go to the bar that I'm pretty sure his memory still haunts. Yeah. I got to give Maureen McDole credit because she's the one who, she's the president of Keep St. Pete Lit and the founder of the Sunlit Festival. And she came to me. I owned the Meta Center at the time. Uh, the Meta Center of St. Pete, which was a community and wellness space. And we had done some readings there. I think we had done a roomy reading there. We partnered with a local, local Catholic community to do that, uh, which was super cool collaboration. And then we were going to do another one. And she said, why don't you do Kerouac? 
And then the follow-up to that was like, why don't we have it be the closing ceremony? Like, why don't we have it be the last night, Sunday of the festival? And I was like, well, we can do that, but I'm sure not going to squeeze all those people into the Meta Center. So we got to find a different venue. And luckily, yeah, that Unitarian Church offered up their space. And man, yeah, between Ronnie Elliott and Colleen Cherry and um, Jamal on sax and Don Cooper on the drums, we had gongs and Gabriella playing the singing bowls. And I mean, it was like... I mean, it was unforgettable, unforgettable. Yeah. Every time that picture comes up in like my photo memories, I'm just like, and this may seem unrelated, but I I start with that story because it's one of my favorite memories from living here. It's one of my favorite memories of you, but it's also a great connector to our topic today because I think Kerouac was an innovator, a natural innovator in every sense of the word. He he broke all the rules and in fact encouraged other writers and wannabe writers to break all the rules and set their own rules. And just the fact that On the Road is written on this continuous scroll, mm-hmm. you know, that other people would be like, what are you doing? And it just made sense to him. And so let me start with the first question about innovation in particular. That has become one of those words that's like, business marketing buzzword. So in Mm -hmm. your experience, what do people think innovation is and what is innovation really? Mm. Yeah. Okay. And you're right about it. The meaning, it's one of those kind of meaningful and meaningless words now. And then it gets so overused. My colleague, Jeff Nelson, I know if he were listening, he would put empathy and storytelling in that same category. Those are words that we hear all the time, and they're so used within the business sense that they've lost all meaning and context. So, I mean, to answer your question, I think what innovation really is, is a way of thinking and behaving that gets you in a space where you're doing design thinking and acting and behaving like an artist and thinking in iterations and being unafraid to fail and taking big swings, and but you're doing a lot of experimentation, so you're thinking like a scientist and you're, you know, you got to put on your lab coat and then you got to pull out the calculator and then you got to put the lab coat back on. And it's, it's a lot of hat switching and mode switching. You know, if you look at the McKinsey model of horizons on innovation, you know, you, every time you get to a different horizon, you have to be a different leader. You have to talk differently. You have to lead differently. You have to different, have a different team in place. So it's a lot of just switching back and forth, which requires another overused word, which is resiliency, right? Which is that kind of flexibility and nimbleness in business that people need to work like a muscle. What they think it is, I think what people primarily think innovation is, is only the third horizon, which is that disruptive innovation, which is like, what's the next iPhone? What's the next internet? What's the next razor and blades? You know, it's like everybody thinks innovation is going to lead to some big breakthrough. But when I left the corporate innovation consultancy I worked at for five years and started my own, what I found was that entrepreneurs and small business owners need innovation best practices too. And they can put them to use just as well, if not more effectively than some of the more large, slow, stuck, kind of cumbersome organizations that are trying to do the same thing. I want to come back to that idea because I I had something about that. But I also want to check a piece of thinking with you. When I talk to folks about innovation, I tend to use the example of the expression, well, he can't see the forest for the trees. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of us have heard that expression. Maybe some of us even use that expression. Oh, you can't see the forest for the trees. 
but none of us really think about what that expression means. And so when I talk about innovation with folks, I say most people are going around in their day-to-day lives literally millimeters from the tree in front of them. (laughs) So they can't see the forest because all they see is tree because they're so close to the tree. All they know is this tree that's right in front of them, literally millimeters from their face. And innovation is the ability to, and not just the ability to, I think really the linchpin of innovation is the awareness that you can step back and get a different perspective and see the whole forest and know that your life and your company and your project and your whatever it is, is more than just this tree that's millimeters in front of your nose. It's the awareness that you can step back and see that there are many different paths around that tree, left, right, over, under. And so that's, that's one of my favorite analogies to help people understand. It's such a cliche expression, but when you really break it down and think about what it means, then people go, oh, <laughs> I've been living right here thinking all there was was the bark that's right in front of me when really there's a whole forest around me. Yeah, I, I think that level of awareness and context is important in business. And then, like I said about the code switching, I think it's also important to layer in, like if your business is the tree, then you need to manage that tree and you need to care for that tree and you need to grow that tree and you need to be aware of the kind of toroidal function or life cycle of the tree where the acorns or the leaves are falling and it's composting into something else and it's coming back up through and there's a rhythm and there's motion to that and there's life to that. And that's what business is, right? But it's also connected in the mycelial network and the fungus and the mushrooms and the other trees around. It's, sh- it's holding hands underground with the marketplace and the ecosystem around you and thinking then beyond to that kind of third horizon, you also have to consider the what's called the purlieu, which is like the edge of the forest where it turns into savanna or desert or plain or whatever. And that's where that's where mutation happens in the purlieu. That's where the laws of the forest and the network start to fall down. And that's where real play and improv and innovation can be happening. So you have to manage all three of those. I love it. That and I feel is like the greatest analogy that I think I have ever heard in my entire life of, of the network of, of being in business. I'm like speechless. Yeah. I mean, and not, and not everybody can see, like you said, the forest for the trees, but the ecosystem for the tree and the ecosystem for the forest and the edges of it. And you see something like mutation or innovation. It's like that magic science thing. Like some people, if you see it, you don't even like understand it. You don't know, you don't recognize it when it's in front of you. So it requires different uh, mindset, different thinking. Completely. And so you mentioned earlier about you've left corporate type of facilitation programs, things of that nature, and you've opened your own thing. And I have a similar path of like trying to take what I learned in the corporate world and bring it to smaller businesses. I feel like innovation training and design thinking and things of this nature to many small to medium-sized business owners probably feel like that's a luxury for Mm -hmm. big corporations with big corporate budgets. We don't have the time or the budget for innovation training. So how do you bring it to them? How do you let them know that like, you don't just want to have this, you need to have this? I mean, I don't, I don't sell innovation training. We did at the, we did at the consultancy I worked at. Better or worse, you know, implemented it and used it and succeeded to varying degrees. And 
Oh, what I found is that I don't even use the word innovation with smaller companies because what they need is, you know, what they need might be a customer experience journey or what they need might be something like a story brand that's a little more, you know, that maybe shakes hands with the marketing department or what they need might be, you know, they might be looking to deepen or find, you know, uh, or harvest some partnerships in their network and, and look to collaborate. I mean, technically that's open innovation right like it's beyond the walls of the business and, and and looking to where collaborations connections might happen uh where you might innovate but they're not thinking of it in the terms of open innovation they're thinking of it in terms of like being a good neighbor and that covid has hit and nobody's going to make it solo anymore so i might need to partner up with other consultants or other architects or other orthodontists or whatever right like how can we get through this together so the language of innovation can come later, you know, we just, I'm more focused on what people are needing in the moment, I guess. If you don't use the word innovation, while it's still innovation, obviously you're, you're mm -hmm. talking in ways that the business will understand because maybe those words as part of all the other words you outlined just don't really have enough specific meaning, right? Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, whether or not we're using that specific word, we're talking about creatively visualizing certain aspects of the business, right? The process of production, the way that the, mm. the business communicates itself. How do you help like spawn creativity in a business when thinking about these things? It can be uh, depending on what the, the picture of the problem is, you know, that's your, typically one of the first questions I ask, you know, what is your image or picture of the problem? Uh, it might be along the line of connecting vision, which you just touched on with strategy, which is the other thing you just said, there might be that you've got a real visionary leader, but they haven't surrounded them with a bunch of integrators, you know, in, 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 in the language of traction to have both the visionary and the integrators in place. There might also be culture issues that are happening, team development issues that, that need to be worked on. I, I rely pretty heavily on the disc assessment. I'm a big fan of the how to fascinate, which is the Sally Hogshead system, but it's it's not for everybody. Neither is DISC, though. I had somebody tell me that DISC was really masculine and could be weaponized, and but and, but I, I rely a lot on the DISC, so because I love it, I've seen a lot of really great transformation happen through that. But yeah, culturally, there could be team development things that need to happen. You know, even just as basic as a team charter or a communications charter that needs to be worked. Uh, you know, and there's also story, like you said, like, you know, how do we talk about the business? So it could be based in storytelling and working more with the sales department or the marketing department and, and how you're telling the story, all the while keeping like the customer at the center, right? And that's the thing. It's like people like to talk about themselves as a business. We did this. We have these awards. We, 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 instead of putting the customer in the middle as the hero of the quest, you know, and showing up as their guide. So a lot of that is just kind of where I help them to shift their thinking. I love that. In the deep wells of my soul, I love that. So much of the work that I do just simply in the branding space is, is about helping people make those mindset shifts. I work with a lot of fellow podcasters and the reason I find over and over and over again, same, same thing applies in business as does in podcasting, as done in YouTubing, even in authorship to a certain degree. The reason why you have the idea to create something is not always the same reason why people are drawn to it. Mm -hmm. And in order to get the message out to the masses effectively, we need to understand why they're drawn to it. The mission and vision and the reason behind why we create this show 
is probably not necessarily the same thing that, you know, our listeners get out of it, right? And so at the end of the day, if we just remember that we are not Luke Skywalker, (laughs) we are Yoda, we are Obi-Wan, you know, we are the person who shows up with the, just the right tool that you need to finish your quest or just the right bit of information to solve the puzzle or unlock the door. But I do think you need to get people to a place where they realize that they're missing <laughs> the key to the lock or the piece to the puzzle or the tool that that will solve the quest. And I, one of my favorite uh, analogies is the Wizard of Oz, you know, and, and with those archetypes as her guide, uh, you know, showing up as the, the heart and soul and the courage and the brain and the intellect and all of that, which at the end then ends up being like all the pieces of herself, right, that she needed. You can show up as the guide and be part of the solution and still be able to tell that story in compelling ways. So here's an interesting question that comes up because I tend to have different perspectives on things like the example that you just gave on The Wizard of Oz, right? And and the idea of mentorship and being a mentor in terms of the hero's journey, but but like how participative that mentor should be or when they should show up, right? And so one of the fundamental issues I have with The Wizard of Oz is Glinda allows Dorothy to go through so much before bestowing her with, you've had the power all along. Where the fuck were you three weeks ago, right? Why did I have to go through all of this shit? Mm -hmm. And so I'm interested to hear your opinion. Like, how much do we let people suffer to learn the lessons that we've already learned? When is it appropriate to step in as the mentor to say, hold on, I've made that mistake. You don't need to make it, right? I fundamentally disagree with the whole pay your dues bullshit. Mm. Well, it might not be a dragon or a witch, but we can't slay our clients' problems for them. Yeah. So it's got to be, and we learn by doing, you know, so... We've got to support them and be and show up as a coach, you know. And that might be the 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 version I use too is show up as a coach versus a mentor because mentors typically are trying to work somebody up, take them under their wing, and 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 make them into a better you know like a version of themselves and give them a leg up within the organization or whatever. And usually in a mentor client relationship, the client is responsible for the process, right? Where a coach is client relationship, the coach is responsible for that process. And the coach is seeing the potential at the white hot center of them and believing in them, not trying to understand them, not trying to turn them into themselves, right? The coach is just, you know, lifting them up as they go. So I think a better analogy for me is always the coach and yeah, letting them do the work. They've got to be able to do the work. They've got to, not that they have to prove it, not that they got to do frigging homework, but like, just do the work, show them you can do the work. Yeah. I like to argue that point for the sake of argument sometimes because I'm really interested to hear other perspectives. It's funny, earlier today in a different segment we were recording, we were talking about making space for everyone to tell their part of the story, right? And so you have your part of that story. I have my part of that story. And I love offering the alternative points of view so that we can find something mutually agreeable in order to make the thing move forward. And I think that's part of the fundamentals of the coaching process. I find, you know, you you and I work in similar spaces on different tracks, but 
the the heart of coaching is the heart of coaching, right? And I find that one of the best things that we can do as coaches is remove the interference. (laughs) It's, It's not about inputting knowledge. It's about removing the interference. And so I'm interested to hear from you and the businesses that you work with and the clients that you help in your executive coaching capacity. Is there common interference that you find yourself helping them to remove over and over and over again? And if so, what is it? Yeah, I think with with entrepreneurs or CEOs that are kind of just starting to grow the team, there is a real heat or interference, as you call it, around self-doubt and around imposter syndrome and around just the stories they're telling. And, you know, I, you know, I find myself having to say, is this true a lot? People are saying, making excuses or or describing blocks, you know, that are totally internal to themselves. They're describing it in external language, but what they're really describing is an internal block. So I find myself asking, is this true a lot? I think in larger organizations where people have teams in place, it really is about not so much managing the strategy, but managing the team. It's showing up as a leader and trying to show up better and communicate more and more efficiently and improve themselves as far as leadership development skills go. And it could be even just showing up to give more back to the community. Like they could, there's a whole thing with like founders who are like kind of at the end of the rope and they're like kind of done with it. And they're just kind of like daydreaming of a way to get out of the business. Should I sell it? Can I, can somebody else do the things I'm doing? You know, like what's vital versus functional, that kind of thing, or what's in my zone of genius. So just getting them to harness what they love and like get involved in something where they can give back to the community or just stay engaged and stay motivated is sometimes important. Sometimes it's very little to do with the business and it's just about happiness and and about passion and satisfaction. So it runs the gamut, but I think there are some themes, yeah, depending on the size of the team. Awesome. Speaking of common themes, I'd love if you could share with us a story where creativity, innovation, that mindset shift created remarkable change, either within an individual or within an organization. Demonstrable, something to help people understand why they should open themselves up to more of this type of thinking. Yeah, I can think of uh, most recently, uh, I've got an executive coaching client who was dealing with comparing herself to other people. Like she would see other people's successes and, and wins and breakthroughs, or whether it was business growth or client acquisition, any of that stuff. She'd say like, well, why, why can't I do that, right? Like, what is this person doing that I'm not doing? And she would instantly go into comparing uh, herself to others. And we worked on a turnaround for her to use. It was like a morning practice and a nightly practice where she could try at night taking a little inventory around the, the moments over the day where she did that. And then she could turn that around into celebrations, either verbally out loud or in a journal. And she could celebrate them, clap, like physically get up and clap for them or write it down and say, good for them for doing X, Y, and Z, right? And then the morning practice was, what is now the next best thing? What is the one thing? Like usually I work with three big rocks for her. It was like, let's just focus on one big rock right now. What is the one thing that day, each day, 
that you will do, that you will commit to getting done, right? And so writing that down in the journal. And we called this process, we called it metaphysical fitness. Working this muscle of like turning it around every night, every morning, every night, every morning, doing your reps. And she got so good at it that she started not only clapping and celebrating these people kind of out loud and verbally, started reaching out to them and messaging them and saying, I just saw what you did or what you posted, and I just want to celebrate you. I want to commend you and tell you what a good job you did, acknowledge you. And this has not only turned this feeling around for her, because now it's not a moment for comparison, it's an opportunity for celebration, but it's also led to some really cool collaborations, like not many, but there's a couple of people that are like, yeah, thanks for that. Hey, have you ever thought of working with someone on a, you know, like it's turned into stuff. So that's the most recent example I can think of. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing it. And metaphysical fitness is going to stick with me for yeah. a while. <laughs> I take a similar approach to those, some of the LinkedIn messages. If I'm in the right frame of mind and I get the unsolicited LinkedIn messages, it's easy to look at all of them as garbage and and be annoyed by them. But when I'm in the right frame of mind, I'll pick two or three and I'll turn them around. And yeah. I'll say, oh, I see that you're following a sales script. Did you know that I used to write sales training? Let right. me help you make this better for the next one of these that you send out, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And so every, every one of those things is an opportunity to sort of flip the script. Mm -hmm. um, and speaking of flipping the script, I can see that Jinx has something he wants to ask you. Yeah, shoot. So I have it on good authority that you have some opinions about the use of various fungus in order to enhance innovative thought. Would you care to share a little bit about that? Well, sure. I mean, I'm a, I'm a big fan of psychedelics. I, I think that they are uh, a, they can be very useful and practical uh, in personal development. And they've provided me with breakthroughs in vision and even strategy sometimes, you know, in, in thinking about my business. I mean, they've primarily provided me with deeply emotional experiences, you know, where I'm like, listening to like Rachmaninoff's second concerto on vinyl and I'm like in tears, you know, just like experiencing the beauty and the oneness of, of everything. But again, back to the analogy and the metaphor of the forest, I think if we allow ourselves to play in the interconnectedness and at the edge, right, at the purlieu where there's, you know, where law, these laws are breaking down, that allows us to reframe. And that allows us to come back into the business with a, a, a broader or more wide-angle lens and allows us to see things that we normally wouldn't. And yeah, I, to me, it's not a controversial thing. I think it's medicine, and I think it's a spiritual practice, and I don't recommend it for everybody, but and I don't do it a lot, but I recommend it to those who are seeking uh, that kind of, uh, of depth or vision or experience. A while back, comfortably beyond any state or federal statute of limitations, I spent a few years on an extended psychedelic journey, um, exploring the universe uh, as a psychonaut, as it were. And uh, I think, you know, some of that really sticks with me to this day in the way that it allows you to break down certain mental constructs and start creating lateral process movement in your head, 
where you know you're able to sort of organize you talked about visualization as part of your uh, you know consultancy right there's no better way to visualize complex thoughts or idea processes yeah. in your head than you know through the controlled use of a reasonable amount of hallucinogens and, and I, you know if we look at all of the great thinkers and how much time they spent you know ingesting various forms of things to shake up their own consciousness and and break up their own thought you know, we see that there's certainly a measurable outcome from that. I wonder if there's some clear analogy for how to apply the idea of the hallucinogen rethinking of the universe into a methodology for business process analysis. You know, for me, I think what it does is, is softens us to rub up against what's emerging. And I, and I think it's different for me from like, it's not a shortcut, right? It, it's not like you can, it's, it's not like you skip to the end and you can figure out the way things are interconnected and, and the way the ecosystem, the way there's interplay within an ecosystem. It's not like the, the ending is revealed to you. You still have to do that work. Uh, you know, a cardiologist still has to listen to thousands of hearts in order to recognize the themes and the patterns and be able to be as responsive and, and develop a, a sense of expertise or wisdom around that. It's not like a cardiologist would take psychedelics and like become an expert, but they would get to a place where they can see the world where all hearts are connected, right? And they might get to a place where there's an electromagnetic field that is happening and created through the through the through the rhythm of the heartbeat and, and and we're all one inside that field there might be some revelation for them there but they still have to do the work they still have to listen to thousands of hearts and put in the 10,000 hours and and do the thing to become an expert right it's not a shortcut so i think that both are important i mean if anything it's probably a walk through the desert but the biggest thing for me is is that you know like the idea of breaking down structured thought into something a little more free form you yeah. know to, to a lot of times to improve business process you really have to functionally tear down all mental structures about how the business works in order to like completely come up with new ways to approach that thought process you know yeah and we're talking about beauty right we're talking about something that is subjective we're talking about an image or a vision that is held in the individual that is perceived as beautiful or better than something else, right? And this is subjective. So for me, it's like, you know, if you, you can play all the notes on the page or you can jump off the page and then improvise, you know, and you can turn that into jazz and you can play with it. Is that beautiful to you? It's, it's totally subjective, right? Is the vision that is before me beautiful? It's up to me to decide that. I'm always a big proponent of emotional connection. And especially when we're trying to connect with the, you know, the people around us, the, the people we want to buy our thing, take our class, you know, engage in our services, listen to our show, consume our content, whatever it is. The fundamental thing that's going to make me keep coming back is I have some sort of emotional connection, you know. And so I, I do think much in the same way that opening yourself up to new ways of thinking, whether it's through somebody with a particular process, you know, or a particular mm -hmm. coaching style or psychedelics, you know, 
like whatever gets you to open up to a different way of thinking so that you you are more open to making those emotional connections that's that's only going to benefit all of us yeah and, and it is the world view right it is this kind of lens or framework that we're that we're talking about upgrading or expanding or giving more depth or span or more complexity to our worldview. And you can do that through looking at, yeah, hundreds of maps and laying them out on the table and saying, oh, these are all like one thing, but it's still not the territory. I still have to go out and explore the thing, right? Or you can have a vision of that territory, you know, and be really emotionally connected. But again, I think both are important. You need the map. You need something that is physical and time-bound. You need the map and the agenda. You need the artifact and how you're going to move through it. So... I think that it's a dance. I love that. It's absolutely a dance. <laughs> and I think we are, you know what that makes me think of? Have you ever watched any of those dance competition shows? Like, So You Think You Can Dance? And they always stress that it's a competition for America's favorite dancer, not America's best dancer. Because there are people who come on that show who are truly immaculate technical dancers but they make zero emotional connection to the piece or zero emotional connection to the music, or they have zero emotional connection to their art. They dance because it's something they were good at and they were put through a lot of training and now they're technically very capable, right? Mm -hmm. But if, if nothing is transferred in an emotional way, you know, you, you can't make a connection to it. And so you see these young folks who know that they're good and yet they're voted off and they just don't understand why. And these judges try to explain, like, you're a very good technical dancer, but I'm not getting anything from you, right? right. And so there's so many people. I think we've all encountered folks in our working lives, in our client base, and our friends and family who are good technical dancers. <laughs> mm-hmm. But they have no idea why they're dancing or the emotional you know, significance of what they're dancing to, right? They're not doing anything to make the connection with those around them. And After that metaphor, I'm feeling pretty good about my backyard barbecue booty drop. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I got rhythm. You know, and, and Jordan, you mentioned how to fascinate earlier. That's one of the reasons I love that particular mm. assessment is because it helps people understand where they can make those emotional connections. If they've never yeah. been shown that they can, if they've never been taught, they don't know the language of how to begin to build those emotional connections, that particular personality assessment it gives people the language to help them to begin to understand where the connection points are that that people are naturally drawn to within them and, and how to enhance that. So, yeah, it's, it's all a big dance. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love it. I love it. We have sort of intoned. Uh, about your various experiences. You are a man of many interests um, and who has had, much like myself, varied experiences in your past. Um, Musician, spiritual thought leader, men's health and spirituality, Mm -hmm. this innovation thinking. You've got more certifications than I can count on one hand. (laughs) You've co-authored a couple of books. Mm -hmm. Where do you see the connection point? How does your experience in one area influence what you're doing now? How do you bring musician, spirituality, all of those things together to make you the executive coach that you are today? Yeah, I think the, the thread that runs through all of that for me is building and leading community, 
Well, I can remember back uh, when I was a musician and it wasn't just leading the band. It wasn't just bringing a song in and writing and arranging and producing and recording and you know how are we going to how is this going to translate to a performance how are we going to do it on stage you know all of that it was more like where are we in harmony with a scene around us and that became really important for me i think to the detriment of my own project i focused on others and it we formed this thing called the southeast music alliance which was in response to a big fm radio station a shock jock making local musicians fight in a boxing ring so that they could have an opening slot at a festival and you know so we like publicly responded and banded together and formed this thing and we had a podcast and put out compilation cd's and put together a conference in st petersburg that brought anr reps to the you know to the region and we did a lot of work around scene building and I think similarly around the spiritual community where, where I started the Integral Church eight years ago as, a, as an interfaith, local interfaith, just kind of meetup, right? Now you'd call it a meetup, right? Where people kind of come and hang out and gather. That saw me, yeah, write the book on Integral Church and how to lead circles and how to, how to do these things. You know, what is the process? What is the order in which you do these things? What are some, some quick interfaith rituals I can kind of bake into my community? And Because we saw these communities popping up, uh, you know, like the Sunday service, which is atheists that gather in bars and like do sing-alongs to Beatles music. And like the you know, spiritual community is popping up no matter what you call it. It's people that want to kind of convene for personal transformation and social transformation and creativity and accountability. And there's all these kind of criteria that Harvard Divinity School, uh, you know, would ascribe to them. But people want, they crave that, you know. So that saw me traveling around to the Parliament of the World's Religions and all these other conferences and speaking on building interfaith community. And that then turned into this global thing. And now there's integral churches in Hungary. And uh, we're talking about translating the book into Hungarian. All of this stuff is through the marketing and the messaging to the innovation. It's all about leading a band or a tribe of people and having some kind of charter or agreement in place and agreeing on a framework or a lens or a worldview that you're all going to move through, whether it's the inclusivity and exclusivity principles in religious and spiritual communities, or whether it's the team and communications charter or the code of values at a corporation, every business to some degree is a cult. And vice versa, you know, so it's all interconnected and we're all just leading and building and creating communities that we want to see in the world. I love that so much. Every business is a cult and every cult is a business. God damn, if that isn't one of the truest motherfucking things I've ever heard in my life. Oh, my friend, that leads us to our infamous lightning round. I'm going to ask you a series of quick questions. We want your knee-jerk answer. Don't overthink it. Okay. I'll Don't do stress about them. So number one, cocktail of choice. Manhattan. Nice. Your go-to de-stress method. Uh, it's a centering sequence. Eric Maisel wrote it. I do it. It's like a stanza thing that I do. Nice. Okay. Apple or PC? Oh, Apple. Peanut butter, crunchy or smooth? Extra crunchy. Extra crunchy. Ding, ding. And what is your favorite insult? Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Take your flunky and dangle is the only thing that I can think of right now. (laughs) 
Uh, it comes from it comes from a movie called Miller's Crossing. It's a Coen Brothers movie from like '91, one of the best movies ever. But that's the only thing that comes to my mind. I love that so much because a lot of times people say like "motherfucker" or you know something that yeah. you hear all the time. But take your flunky and dangle. Plus, <laughs> bonus points for the obscure movie reference. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> true story. <laughs> Jordan, you've been uh, like an extraordinary guest. It, it has been uh, uh, quite quite an interesting um, session, and and I, like you've blown my mind at least three times during this conversation. So I'm super happy that we've had you on here. We're gonna make sure if you guys want to connect with Jordan uh, online or whatever, we'll make sure that the appropriate contact information for, uh, for him is in the show notes. And you know, a, as a takeaway here, uh, above and beyond that, you know, rip down those fixed structural thinking approaches to how you do your business, you know, really be free format it, be creative with it. You do have to do the work. You're going to have to walk through that desert. You're going to have to, uh, you know, actually experiment with things and test them out and, 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 you know, find your way forward and maybe eat a few mushrooms along the way, but, uh, you'll, you'll actually see some real growth in your business on the backside from all of us here at unfuck my business. We will uh, see you next Tuesday. What the fuck are you waiting for? Take what you learned in this episode and do something with it. You'll find all the links and resources we talked about in our show notes for this episode. And go to unfuckmybusiness.com to subscribe to the show. Mm-hmm.